0: (laughs) and welcome back you're listening to the new republic podcast australia's first podcast dedicated to all things experimentation personalization and may i say that ugly word conversion rate optimization so we're going to cover everything from Tricks and hints and tips and ideas that uh, we've formed over the years of doing this, and hopefully, you can take them into your business and actually start getting some success out of this medium. Uh, my name is Nima Yassini, I'm the CEO and founder of New Republic, and I'm delighted to bring you episode five of our podcast. So, I'm going to introduce my co host today. I've got Jessica from NIB. Say hi, Jess. Hello, and Richard from Optimizely. Rich, you might want to say hello. Hello. Okay, cool. So episode five, this one's a big one. I think everyone's, I know Jess was emailing everyone going, this is going to be exciting. I'm pumped. So today's topic is the challenge of scaling an experimentation program. So if you haven't started, don't worry, you're going to face this one day. So it'd be good to get prepared. And if you're currently in it, hopefully some of the things we say will give you a bit of a leg up on how to get in fun. So I've got three questions for my panelists today. Question number one is what three things Uh, have you found that have restricted organizations' ability to scale? Number two is, does how you start your program dictate your ability to scale in the future? And the last one is, what are the three factors you need to have in place to ensure your program can scale? And at the end of the conversation, we're going to do a small breakaway where I'm going to ask my panelists about what books have you been reading or what resources do you go to give yourself the knowledge about experimentation where do you go and discover things something I get asked all the time and I'm excited to say we have our very first question from someone who's been listening to the podcast and wanted to raise a question which I'll ask a little bit later through on so why don't we jump straight into it who wants to go first my first question what are the three things that you found that have restricted an organization's ability to scale Who wants to take
1: that? Jess, go for it. Yeah, so I'll jump in on this uh, to start today. I guess I'll touch on uh, I'm super pumped because at the moment we're at a point where we're looking uh, to scale or to go to the next level of scale for us, which is why I've been so excited to have this conversation with you guys Basically, so I can learn along the way um, as to kind of what are those ideal teams that we've kind of mentioned in the past. So at the moment, we've kind of scaled because the demand has outweighed our capability. Now we're kind of reaching a point where experimentation is being taken on board by a lot of areas within the business. So I think the three things that I'm seeing that are restricting us as an organisation looking to scale um, is the number one is talent. So CRO really hasn't been around for a very long time um, as a specialisation at least. Uh, So finding people who have experience in it, who can jump on board with the journey, uh, is is difficult, uh, especially located in uh, Newcastle. Uh, we have kind of that geological, uh, yeah, geolocation um, aspect. Kind of right. Pardon?
0: It's kind of right. Geological yeah. geography.
1: Geological, yeah. Kinda Geographical. Right. That's it. That's the word I'm looking for. I guess the second thing that I feel is a barrier at the moment is understanding how to scale. Uh so what does the ideal team look like and I know Rich you've mentioned previously about scoping for your ideal and selling that into the business and basically then having to strip it back to what resources and budget you can get a handle on so I'd be keen to pick your brain about that a little bit later today Uh, And then number three would be kind of the ability to sell the plan. Um, So once you kind of understand what that ideal team is, well, what's the sell to the business? How do we have that tangible ROI of what we're achieving with the current program? And how much extra are we going to get by getting new bodies on board uh, and kind of reaching out to different areas within the business to try and help them? Get their experimentation program going.
0: Can I, Jess? I just want to, I want to ask you a quick question. What does, what does scale in your context mean? Because it sounds to me like velocity, number of experiments you want to run.
1: At the moment, so okay, I think I've touched on this in the past uh, episode, which was around we were in the mindset of just getting runs on the board. So, it was very much focused on getting the experiment velocity happening ensuring that we're getting lots of experiments out the door that was focused on kind of one division and so now our scale is more reaching out to other areas in the business so mm-hmm. not only trying to grow our experimentation on site for NIB Australia we're kind of how do we help other areas within the business start using the experimentation mindset And so, how that works, I think, is where my scale is coming from. So, initially, it was getting the program happening and scaling up so that we could meet the need to do kind of more development-heavy experiments. So, kind of getting that talent on board. Yeah,
0: so types of experiments, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, types of experiments. And then now it's kind of, well... There's a span of experiments, I suppose. So they're, yeah, different parts of the websites. We're looking to do more within the business as well. Uh, So, yeah, that's where our scale is kind of coming to at the moment. So
0: talent, how to scale the ideal team, and then the last one was really the ability to sell that plan into the wider organization, right?
2: Yes, And a quick question on whether number one and number three are linked. When you talk about talent, is it that it's difficult to find people, you have, you have the headcount, but you can't find people to fill it? Or is it also, it's difficult to be able to justify that headcount?
1: Yeah, so I think it is both. We can get the headcount and I suppose at the moment um, I have specific headcount and I'm looking to grow that headcount and that's what I mean about the cell. to, well, how big will that resource be required? Do I need two, do I need three people, whatever? But then, yeah, sure, I get to this point where I understand I need two more people in my team and they need to have specific sets of skills where am I going to find them? In Sydney, there might be, you know, one or two. In Melbourne, there might be three or four. Globally, there might be some more. However, we're not set up to support a distributed workforce like that um, just yet and whether or not that would fit into the team. So I'd say it's a bit of both, bit of column A, bit of column B. That's the problem there.
2: Really interesting. Rich, you want to take it? Uh, yeah, and actually, I'll, I'll start where, Nima, your last question was, which is what, what do you mean by scale? So before yep. jumping to the three things, um, I think it's worth understanding or, or at least putting some bounds around that, that word scale. I think it's really
0: important because scale can mean the types of experiments or it can mean the number of like your velocity. Has, it's kind of got a, you can play it in two ways, I guess. And,
2: and I thought the, uh, the best articulation <laughs> of this came from the founder and CEO of you know, Home Loans, Vincent Turner. His quote, which I use all the time was, in an ideal world, we would be able to test in real time with no development overhead, any aspect of the customer experience from the content they read to the chat message they see, to the email they get, to the interface they use, and the calls that they receive. That, to me, sums up what we are hoping to get to. I know it's not a realistic thing, but that that concept, what do we mean by scale? It's any aspect of the customer experience has been validated by real user testing.
0: Yeah, so what do you think the restrictions are? Is it sounds like a technology restriction and a corporate readiness?
2: Uh, well, so you, you said three, so I've tried to nut it down to three. The three that I run into most frequently with the organizations that we talk to, the first one is running out of things to test. So not knowing what to test. That is someone had knew that this was a practice they wanted to start up had a bunch of ideas, ran through those ideas, but because they don't have a a process around ideation, that then plateaus. Or you end up spinning cycles on the wrong types of tests and then you're not getting return and that is also going to inhibit your ability to scale. So not knowing what to test, I think is a huge challenge. I obviously come at it from the tech focus. I think there is a really neat tech solution uh, right now that we're seeing a lot of people talk about, which is uh, a product called Full Story. And it helps you identify where the potential customer frictions are, and even prioritize those. I uh, think so Kate
0: Mara is going to be first. very happy. To I, hear
2: I know, that. but it's coming up in a lot of conversations, and think yeah, it is yeah, a real I'm with me as well. We're,
0: we're literally getting all our clients onto full story because it just makes so much sense.
2: So that was number one. Number two, I think, which Jess touched on a little bit, is the places that you can't test or the dependencies in getting tests up in those places. So that might be. You want to start testing deeper in your funnel. You want to start testing things on the back end and it's just not feasible with the tech that you've got, or it requires a a large amount of engineering effort, or it could be on the back end. The metrics that we're trying to move, you can't measure on the site. Therefore, we need to involve analysts and that sort of thing slows you down, consumes a lot more resource. And I think that inhibits the scaling of a program.
0: Yep. I got the first one is what to test. The second one was places you can't test.
2: Uh, yeah, so the the scope and the speed because of places you can't test yeah, yeah, dependencies yeah. or yeah. even inefficient processes. So yeah. you're doing really good tests but if you were able to do those in half the time then you could do and, and half the effort you could potentially do twice as many.
0: You know, it's crazy. I get the inefficient processes so many times. Like half our work is advising clients on how to reset up their process so they can actually deliver an experiment in time.
2: And then a, a final one, that, so my number three, uh, I've coined as winning in a vacuum. Oh, I like that. You're testing to find solutions to customer problems and you're finding those solutions, but the testing team is detached from the BAU team yeah. and nothing ever gets changed or implemented. Uh, yeah, interesting. So, so what's the point of scaling a program if what you're finding is not actually
0: impact? being implemented? Because you're not getting the business returns. Yeah. You know, Rich, as you're talking, a lot of these points kind of echo in the, the maturity index that we did, which is coming out again. And I, I think the things that we found in that research, now we're talking to some of the biggest organizations that have been running experimentation for like five, seven years. The things that everyone talked about was um, the centralization versus decentralized model. And what they found is centralized, a lot of them like big telcos, I know one in particular I'm thinking of, they found that by centralizing the experimentation program, they couldn't scale it. And the biggest issue that they had was they built so much IP and structure and process into that centralized model that moving to a decentralized model became increasingly difficult. And to scale that meant they just constantly needed more headcount, which started becoming relatively impossible to actually do, mainly from a talent perspective, but also from an organization because although they had a centralized team, they kept borrowing from other teams to allow for scale. And therefore because they couldn't get more budget, they'd go and get steal from other teams. And that kind of ended up meaning that those teams would need those people and to those people back. So I think one thing that I find is the model that you set up your teams under, centralized versus decentralized versus hybrid, is a really important factor to think about around the challenges that restrict scaling. That's one thing I, I agree. I think the, the next thing, Jess, I totally agree with you. Talent is the hardest thing as a consultant in this space, finding people who know what the hell they're doing is really, really difficult. And one of my common things that I found, and to all the people listening, hiring CRO people, please, there's one really important question you need to ask. And that is, have you been mentored or have you been trained by anyone else other than you doing the role in a previous role? Because what I found was when they're on their own, they're learning from themselves. And that really limits their ability and exposure to what they've seen. And a lot of times when we've hired individuals like that, they've picked up some bad habits because they haven't understood the context of the things they're learning. And as a result, they end up being quite misguided in their approach to experimentation, which ends up meaning that they're running bad experiments. They don't know where to experiment. The experiments that they're running are great, but they're not seeing the light of day because they don't understand how to get it into production. So I think, Talent is such an important thing. And I I know I'm going to plug this, but we're actually going to launch an education product next year because I'm so fed up with not being able to find good people. So i thought stuff that we're just going to go teach people. Hopefully in there, we'll find some bright sparks that we can then hire. So if you're looking for talent, Jess, give me till Feb next year. Once I start training some people, I'll I'll (laughs) flick some names to you. And I think the last thing that I got, you know, looking at the maturity index around what are the things that limit scale one of the things that I found was organizational readiness. So if you actually look at the context of experimentation, it has a global appeal and a lot of companies are going through a digital transformation. And there was like 40% of people actually recognize that they can't scale because they can't get the entire business to buy into a change process that needs to happen for scale to occur. So, and I think a lot of times when we've been talking, we've always talked about getting buy-in at the exec level, but there's organizations that have buy what they can't do is there is a change process that needs to occur f- for those other entities in the business to be able to take on experimentation. So what we do is we justify the spend, but we don't justify the change program. And that's where it, gets, it breaks down because we don't talk about, okay, to scale, these are the changes that teams need to put into place. And if you think about the organization that have been doing this for a long time, like Amazon and Google, it's not a centralized team. Booking.com is one of the most famous in this category. Every team runs an experimentation. Every team has the individuals required to run that experimentation. Their centralized experimentation team doesn't actually run one experiment. All they do is they police everyone else's experiments to make sure that they're running them correctly. That is a massive change program. And it's a huge undertaking by any organization. And I don't think as practitioners, we do a good job in selling that.
1: But it's unrealistic to think that that is going to be how it can be done from the very beginning. Like Amazon it would not have had it working. Their experimentation program, unlikely, would have been decentralized from the very beginning of their experimentation.
0: Yeah, I, I think these organizations, you know, the founders began with experimentation. They, they didn't think centralized, decentralized, and the thing just was a part of the evolution of the business. It wasn't a you know what we're doing is we're orchestrating an environment an ecosystem in which it could occur and then what we try to do is through osmosis expand that out it's not so much that what we've done is wrong it's more around understanding the the challenges you're going to face and preparing for them rather than what i did was wrong what i'm going to do now is right and you're right we were all inevitably going to get here because it was always going to start with a centralized model and then we start looking for other things and decentralized comes out and hybrid comes out so I think I think it's more around one of the biggest challenges that came out of the study was that a centralized model will only last you so long. So understanding how to do decentralized, whether you decentralize ideation, whether you decentralize ideation and conceptualization of, of an experiment or the development, you centralize development, it's really around... How do you decentralize and, and what do you decentralize and what components can you scale effectively and cost effective? So, you might have a development team offshore. Scaling that is a lot cheaper and easier. And so, you might centralize dev, but decentralize ideation and conceptualization. So, it really does decentralization doesn't mean that everybody does it, it might mean different components are decentralized. We're actually going through this process with a company right now who, as you said, Rich, they're, they're, their biggest issue is the speed of getting an experiment up. They're a financial institution and legal and compliance plays a major role in their process and it just comes to a grinding halt. So we're looking around how do we, how do you change the program that they become more agile in their nature.
2: You kind of transitioned into question number two, which is around your models.
0: So let's, let's move. I think that's your right, Rich. I think uh, that moves us on to question number two and I'm going to throw it to you. Do you think how you start your program dictates your ability to scale in the future or do you think that's going to limit you? I mean, talk to that decentralized and centralized. What have you found in the market?
2: I actually agree with Jess on this, the comment that you made earlier, which is it is almost impossible, if not actually impossible, for you to begin with where you're going to end. The space is just too new to be able to get that level of buy-in and investment from the business. So no, I don't think... How you start dictates your ability to scale. And I don't think you can begin where you want to end up. You need to just begin however you can. Prove that it's working. Steal, beg, borrow, steal, headcount as you go. And then when you start to run into inefficiencies in that model, then evolve that model. My main recommendation would be don't do that alone. Seek help from others that are doing the same thing. Seek help from the um, vendors and partners that you work with because they will have done this a lot of times, and it's not one-size-fits-all. It's not a standard map. So my message is choose a model that's right for that moment in time. Don't boil the ocean, but recognize if inefficiencies are holding you back and then look to improve it.
1: Yeah, what I found really interesting in this space is I've worked really hard to get people bought in to this experimentation program and this centralized model. And now it is growing. It has become one of those things where I'm starting to plant the seed of where it's going to grow to. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to get from here to there, but I know that I want to be in a place where yeah. the teams are empowered to run their own experimentation program and we are able to be that centre of excellence to help guide them down the right path and ensure that we're kind of using the similar standards across the board. Have you?
2: Do you speak to others that are running experimentation programs to find out what they've done, how they did it? Like, do you have an, uh, is there a network that you're part of? How how do you get that sort of insight?
1: Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, I lean heavily on uh, my partnership with uh, Optimizely and um, our agency that we use to start guiding us further towards where we want to go I think I'm part of uh, many circles now uh, with the optimization crowd. So just through the partnerships that we've had and I guess my efforts this year to kind of reach out to CRO specialists around the world has really helped me kind of start to see what other people are doing in that space. So yeah, I kind of have used that to help guide.
2: Have you found them quite open, willing to give time, willing to talk?
1: so far yes we're all of the belief that in order for us to grow we need to share we need to start talking about what we're doing in this space and how we're doing it i think it's important like it doesn't matter the specifics of all of these things it's not hindering our industry by talking about it i think it's important for the experimentation mindset for it to be talked about, for us to be sharing learning so that it can actually become something of the everyday. So it's not just a digital transformation as you kind of alluded to before, Neema. We need to stop talking about it as a project of work. It has to become part of just one of the skills and the culture that exists within the business. So I think most of the people in this space want to talk about it so that they can learn, they can grow, they can be better. And I think it's been really great this year to start really working on that space with people from around the world who are doing conversion rate optimization.
0: You know, one thing I think that is really critical with any organization trying to scale is education. I mean, I know, like I said to you, the financial institution, we're helping them scale is we're running constant education programs, just helping other people understand what it is from a, like a basic boot camp as you get to more advanced stuff and I think that's one of the things that fundamentally helps scale is the knowledge and ability to understand what other people are talking about especially the people who are bringing that change in it's um,
1: really hard to find though I guess I'm I'm on the fence with this a little bit in that once I started probing to go and find who to talk to who are the experts in the space it kind of all flowed on from there but initially when I was looking around I was only seeing how to do better landing pages as part of the information that I was trying to learn from. So, you know, things like this podcast, things like the conferences that are put on around the world now, people are starting to talk more and more about what we're doing so that we can all grow.
0: There's some some amazing events that like, I, I agree. I think in Australia, you don't get exposed to like the Conversion Excel guys in the States, their event's fantastic. I know um, Conversion Jam in Stockholm, I went to that event and it was mind-blowing. It was just mind-blowing. I go to the Opticon uh, event each year. Like There are some really great pinnacle events that if you go to, you just hear the best of the best of the industry. Uh, and, I, and I think that's the biggest problem is, is there's, a, there's really a lack of education in this category. To and- scale, you need knowledge. And, and so I think there's just a real lack of knowledge.
2: The events aren't just, hey, I've listened to the session and therefore I took some notes. Yeah. It's the connections that you can make. So true. Um, one of our customers here in Australia, a, a technology startup, their optimization manager, and that wasn't even her title. She had another job. This was just part of what she did. She met the team at BBC and made the connection with BBC and on a trip to London was I invited into their, or a trip to the UK, was invited into their offices to sit down and talk with the team and learn. Like mm. that, That's a total Amazing. random connection that just came out of an event. And as you say, Jess, people are genuinely open and looking to learn from each other.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting if you just ask people, listen, can I spend a week in your office and just see what you do? Most people are like, yeah, sure. Come on in. It's quite an interesting thing. I do it each year. I go to one of the Go Group members' offices and I spend a week in their office just learning their business. And it's incredible what you pick up, the stuff that you learn from these guys. Anyway, let's move on to um, question number three. So my question is this, what are the factors you need to have in place to ensure your program can scale? So is it about executive buy-in, which we've talked about in the past? Is it about, um, you know, a plan around how you get your tests to more maturity? So moving from A-B testing to like personalization, like what do you think are the building blocks that helps you scale? Rich, you want to take that or Jess?
2: Jess, can go first? Thanks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we kind of touched on this before around the business buy-in And for me, it's not just about having the exec buy-in. We already kind of mentioned around the organizational readiness. You need to build a bunch of advocates for the program within the business. So in order for us to scale, it's been lots of people starting to talk to each other. Oh, did you know that Jess is working on experiments in that space? go and talk to her to see what you know, what you can learn, all that kind of thing. And so from that, we've kind of built out this service, I suppose, within the business of people wanting to do more in their areas and understand how best to approach it from an experiment mindset. That was kind of my biggest factor that I could think of when looking to scale. Um, There's probably heaps, I guess you've talked about Quite a few that I also agree with, Rich, around getting rid of those dependencies for where you can scale your program, and that's kind of something that we've already done. Um, I think the business buy-in and getting everybody talking about it has been the biggest factor in
0: scale. Yeah. I think there's for me there's three parts, right? There's the the selling of experimentation as a as a common day practice that everyone should be doing. Then there's the process that you need to scale so allowing people to run that program and and i mean process from like everything from documenting a hypothesis to the program management tool that you require and i think sometimes uh, i think it's such an important that process of like what you use how is that going to scale with the business and tools like i mean i, I know rich you're on but like optimize program management tool or other tools like Airtable and other even down to basic Excel spreadsheets, you'll find the tools that you start with will outdate and they can't scale with you. So I think first for me is, is you, you've got to sell the business on experimentation. Big, borrow and steal. Prove it and sell it. The second part is look at your systems and processes and tools that you use. Will they scale with you? Because you'll find you'll need to evolve those things. Especially the most most companies don't do this as they scale. They don't begin with building a database of experiments so other people can search what experiments have been run in the past. So that can actually build on success. And what you'll find is as you scale, people are coming up with the same ideas that you might have tested a year ago and you've forgotten. You end up doing a test again. So having a process and having that database is critical. And then I think the last part for me is about running and reporting. So running those experiments, informing the business that they're running and also reporting back in a much more tangible, easy, simple way rather than detailed reports that people are like, can't you just tell me, did it win or did it lose? So I think they're, they're the three things that, I've picked up through my journey around helping organizations scale, most important part is the process part. We always think about the selling, but I find once you're at that scaling conversation, the selling's happened, people are bought in. It's the ability to run it after that that I find the processes and the tools, we're using the same things and going, well, why aren't they working or why is this so much harder than it should be? I think that's the bit that I always find gets that doesn't get focused on as much as it should.
1: Yeah, and it is a learning journey in itself yeah, the processes so 100%. you know you revisit that as you start to grow you go oh well, there's a gap here you can see once you put a process in place you can start to see where the holes yeah. are and yeah. it's just another flow that you're trying to optimize within the business
0: i never understood the value of that database until we started scaling programs that database has just been so valuable to be able to actually search and say okay, we're on this page. What are the what are the different tests that have been run? Being able to see all those things and the results out of those things. Like I, I give you one thing that I really love doing now is looking at rates of diminishing return on an experiment that we did and implemented and looking at what's the rate of that that diminishes over time and what point should we go back and retest that? and What ideas can we now relook at? That has been eye-opening. So that database, as you scale, if you don't have it, Make sure it's simple as getting a wiki. Like, don't overcomplicate it. Just a place where you can store this stuff and the insights. It's absolutely valuable for scaling. Rich, um, any comments, mate?
1: Yeah,
2: a lot of the stuff that we're covering, I think we've covered in a, a fair chunk of detail in previous episodes. And to me, all of that's you getting your house in order. So yep. the program is operating well in the team that has initiated it. But when I think about scale, it's about going beyond that. So you could have the most optimized experimentation program within your Mm -hmm. team. But if you can't, whether scale is breadth across more teams or whether it's depth going much deeper into the experience, that's probably more teams. It's whether you can break out of your own optimized world and into other people's. So at that point, I think you yourself and your team know the value of this and the fact that the rest of the business should be that, that cultural change. But I think what, what organizations fight against is those teams saying, I'm just going to do it rather than test it or the testing's going to slow me down so I don't have time to do it. Being able to get that buy-in for them to move against that, I'll just do it or it's going to slow me down. I think until you can, and it's not everyone at once, until you can get the individual people involved or teams involved to get over that mental hurdle and just try it, just experiment with it, Um, then scale can't come so to me it's that factor can you effectively one at a time move around the business and get people to buy into why don't i test it rather than just doing it and that the process of testing not an individual test but the process of testing will enable that team to be more efficient so overall they'll move faster
0: i i personally think education like this whole thing training like talent it all comes back to talent finding people who understand this space. It's such an important factor. Finding towards.
1: people who have done it before, I, I think has been a very good learning curve for us. We're at a place where we're looking to bring in a more personalization and how that overlays with the experimentation program. You need a master's degree to kind of understand how you're going to start breaking it down and Uh, running all of these different streams of tests Uh, so I think yeah I agree with you Rich there's there's an epic scale factor there that's possible and then it's trying to upskill to be able to deal with that capability that the the business I suppose is asking for
2: Yeah, I agree. Let me, so just one potential way that organizations could approach this, and it's just one, but I only listened to it recently and I really like it, came from Gibson Biddle, the former VP of product at Netflix. He spoke at Opticon Optimize's annual conference earlier this year and delivered the keynote. And in that keynote, he said something which I just absolutely love. But to him, testing is the balancing act. It's enabling him to manage the balancing act between delighting customers and margin. And that trade-off, that concept of trade-off, I think every single one of whoever's listening, the other teams, the peers, the colleagues that you work with, in their day and in their work streams, they have to make trade-offs. And potentially using that, this testing allows you to to do that balancing
0: act. Mm. That's really nice. I'm actually looking at my notes from Opticon, where um, the the head of product for Netflix was speaking, and he had some really amazing conversations. And I'm just trying to find. Basically, he called it his product design concept is known as D H M: delight customers, make it hard to copy, and make it high margin. And that's how he talked about everything he did at Netflix was how do I delight customers. How do I create it so it's hard to copy? And then how how does it deliver high margins, which is really nice. All right. So I think that's a a good wrap for three questions. And it's a perfect time to go into the question that came from our last episode. Uh, And the question that was sent in to me. Now, remember, if you've heard anything that you want to have a question about or you want to add to us, please, at the bottom of the notes, you can see our email address. Just drop an email with your question or comment. So the question from the last episode was, how do I resource a program effectively? Jess, I think this this is like your wheelhouse. You did this. How did you resource your program effectively? Did you start with a dev? Did you start with a UX? Was it just you and a flip chart?
1: I started with an analyst. So data guy. a data guy. Uh, so basically I was on the tools. And he was uh, helping us have that consistent reporting so we could start identifying opportunities and things like that. Interesting. That got us only so far due to my skills on being in <laughs> the tools. The whizzy we get as well. Yeah, is exactly. Um, yeah. Things started needing to have a lot more JavaScript and kind of front-end development type work, which is where we uh, decided that we needed to get... a a digital optimization specialist on board which is kind of a very broad term because it's a very broad role as to what they might need to dabble in yeah and so that kind of helped us to start getting a bit of momentum those runs on the board i suppose from just getting experiments out starting to prove value and then kind of we grew to another support another area of the business which required another digital optimization specialist to come on board. Now, we're at a place where we need to understand, well, what's missing from our team? And so when you say resource a program effectively, it's effective for a certain amount of time until you need to understand, well, where is where are we moving to next? Yeah, what's the um, next step? Yeah.
0: Got so. it. Yeah, interesting. I know with us, when we when we first set up, we didn't start with an analyst. We started with UX. So we started UX into dev and then from dev into an analyst. And so we really started around how do we just fix some of those hypotheses we made when we first designed this experience? And how do we, because, you know, when in the process of designing any experience, there's always these two or three ways you can do it. And someone just has to make a decision, and it's subjective. So what we started doing was, and you know, we got into experimentation to validate what we were designing. So a lot of us, we began with just like, what were the two other ways that we're talking about designing that asset? So why don't we just go off and test that now? So we really started from a a design ideology rather than a a data ideology.
1: Absolutely. And so I guess what I failed to mention is that we work quite closely with the UX teams that are in our delivery areas to kind of be like, how can we help you validate those dis- these discussions that you're having? Yeah. So that was really how we kind of started getting the runs on the sheet. Was can we not Important. argue about this yeah, anymore? Yeah. We've got kind of heads of UXs, developers all around a table, and we're relying on our user testing to make big decisions on what a product should look like. And so basically working closely with the UX, that's how we started being able to say, well, this is how our experiments should look.
0: And that's how you brought them on the journey, right? So you picked each team off one by one. That's how you brought them on into the let's help you validate what you're doing that. Then I guess the product owners then were like, well, this is great. I can learn some data and get some validation. Okay, that's interesting. Absolutely,
1: and so the the aim was to make sure that we are not wasting resources on developing something that might not work. It's just kind of a bet, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, What are the things that we can find out early?
0: Rich, what have you found? Like when you're out in market, how are like what are the what are how are people resourcing? In your point.
2: Uh, well, we've spoken about before the, the kind of different broad roles that you need. But given the, the topic of this particular episode is about scaling, what I've seen work really well is organizations that instead of taking on that headcount themselves for the particular team, which can be expensive, especially in an unproven process, but to actually take those roles from, uh, take portions of those roles from the other teams, which then gets those other teams brought in. If you're forming your consumer insight, again, referencing Gibson Biddle, who talks about consumer science, Mm -hmm. forming consumer insight, you've got existing data. Organizations have teams that focus on data. So use those. Don't hire a new one. Um, Focus groups and surveys. There's definitely parts usually in marketing and product that are conducting this research already. Don't go and reinvent the wheel. That data exists. Those people are there. And then turning, uh, adding A-B testing into that, um, you need all four. And if three other teams have been involved and you're delivering the fourth and everyone's benefiting, that is setting this cultural expectation that will help you scale.
0: Yeah, nice one, Rich. Nice way to bring it together. Hopefully, um, that's answered the question to our our very kind listener who entered in a question to us.
1: So, Rich, just to touch on a point that I mentioned earlier around the ideal team. I know in previous podcasts you've alluded to scoping for the ideal team and then being able to scale back according to whatever budget or the business will allow you to do. Might be able to share kind of your view on what, what that ideal team might be.
2: Uh, so yes, I definitely can. And it won't be, Hey, here is what the ideal team is. As I said, it's not one size fits all, but if you, you can work backwards. So, your website the amount of traffic that you get to the website has a pretty it's pretty deterministic as to how much experimentation you can do and those experiments need to have ideas they need to be designed and developed you need to analyze the results and implement the winners so there's resource required for each of those and there's pretty well calculated Um, averages around the world as to how many of those are going to be winners, what the potential uplift will be, depending on where you're testing. So you can, if you want to scope it properly, before getting into this, you can actually sit down and work out what the program should and could look like, and therefore what resources, the amount of each resource will be required, and the returns that you should potentially get from that. And you you will not begin with that team. But if you scale it back and just begin with something at regular checkpoints, maybe it's every six months, look back on the ROI, see how you're going against that plan. And then you you can continue to scale that against the model that you built at the beginning. It's something that optimizer has been working a huge amount on investing quite a lot of resource into researching with um, different universities in America to validate. So uh, that's an exercise that we'd encourage anyone to go through and we'd happily help with that.
0: I think this conversation of scaling has just been absolutely riveting. Everyone's got so much to say that we've run out of time. So what we're going to do is take those breakaways and take it into the next episode, episode six. Make sure you join us. And with that, I want to say thank you very much, Rich, for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jess, for your contributions. Uh, I'm Nemi Usini, CEO of NeuroPublic. You're listening to the New Republic podcast. Don't forget, if you've got any questions or comments, look at the bottom of your Spotify or iTunes where you uh, download and listen to this and get our email address and shoot those questions through to us. And until next time, keep optimizing.